needed. Oh, I'm thankful for his amazing grace that I went from crutches to hobbling. Amen. And hopefully I'll go from hobbling to running. About a week and a half, two weeks ago, I popped my Achilles tendon playing basketball. Hopefully, we'll not give you too many more updates, but now I'm waiting to see if I'm going to get a surgery or a natural repair. Either way, three to six months, keep me in prayer. And uh, I'm so happy that during this Christmas season, I'm reminded of the greatest gift, and that's the gift of Jesus bringing salvation. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Amen? I would rather go to heaven missing a, a, a tendon than to go to hell with everything and money and all of that. Now, if I can be blessed and go to heaven, I'll take both. Amen? If I can have two legs and still go to heaven, I'll do it that way. But as the old-time preacher said, is I would, rather go to he- I would rather go to heaven with nothing than go to hell with everything. Amen? That's why the Bible says if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, what did you profit? You didn't get anything. And so it's through our momentary ups and downs that we remember to trust the Lord. And maybe a little lesson about me being an old man on the basketball court. Maybe I'm supposed to get a lesson in that. I don't know, but I'm not receiving it. I'm not receiving it. Open up your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 1. Good to see everyone here. How many are excited to study the Word of God? Amen. I said, even if, uh, like last week, I have to come up in crutches, and I sat down most of the time. Thank you guys for helping me do all of this. Uh, I said, I'm going to preach no matter what. And then I went on to say, even if I lose my voice, I'll I'll learn sign language and keep preaching. Amen. So what I want to do today is get us into a topical message out of the exegetical sermons, um, out of the exegetical book, uh, 1 John. Now, I'm, I'm tempted here to go into a new sermon series on the entire book of 1 John. Just start going verse by verse. So I, come on, brother. I try to be sensitive to the Lord. Those of you who know me know that I either do sermon series or I do, you know, fresh out the oven and I get the message between services. So by God's grace, first and second service are never the same unless the Lord tells me to do them the same. And so first service was on ministering to the poor, and I believe God's going to lead us in that direction, so check it out. And What's been in my heart this whole week is 1 John. But believe it or not, I don't have yet the direction. Do I go verse by verse through the whole book like we just did through Hebrews? Or do I summarize it and go on to what I thought I was going to go on at the beginning of the year? Because I don't see how I would finish this by the end of the year. So what I'm going to do is just be honest with you about that and now get to the message that I have in my heart from 1 John. And then we'll see as I preach if the Lord wants me to come and return to do this. Because as a preacher, I like to see the reaction... God speaks to me through that, and then I also sense what, what I feel the whole ser- uh, the service needs and the, the church needs. Can I hear an amen to that? So I just kind of took you behind the, the, the scenes there and showed you how we bake the bread. You just saw how we, you know, we do the little thing right there. Okay. So what I'd like to talk to you today about is the sinless life. So I am in Christ today sinless. That does not mean I live sinless. It just means I sin less. Uh, you all get that? Uh, I don't think you did. I think i got to go through the sermon series now. Verse by verse, we'll be here for six months. I'm going to say this again. It's not a play, on, it's a play on words, but it's not a trick. So don't let the play on words mess with you. I am sinless. That does not mean I am sinless, but I sin less. Okay, so what I'm saying is sinless can have in this sentence three different meanings. The first meaning that I give to when I say I am sinless is I'm, st- I'm talking about my standing before God being in complete righteousness. Please open up another tab, 2 Corinthians 5.21, please. When I then say I am not sinless, 
What I am then saying is in my behavior, I still sin at times, okay? So it's not that I'm without ever sinning. Does everybody understand that? And then in the third way that I mean it, but I sin less, as I mean it now like two words. The first two ways was one word, sinless, and it had two different meanings. One is a right standing before God, and one is a behavioral way that we live. And then the third one says how I do that by sinning less. Does everybody get that? Okay, so brother, if you could put it up on the slide so everybody could see it, coming hot out the oven. Of course, I didn't write this down. There's no notes for this. But I just want to express what the Lord has put in my heart this week. I am sinless, but that doesn't mean I am sinless. It means that I sin less. So when we turn to these scriptures, I want you to keep that in mind, and I believe that's the whole theme of 1 John. And one of the reasons why... First John is so confusing to people, and there's so many debates over it, and we'll see how much we get into it today. I don't want to bog us down with the details of where people debate about this, but there is debate in this book because of those terms. It doesn't use the word sinless. It just says is without sin, and you'll see that in just a little bit. And oftentimes where the confusion comes, comes in is with understanding how John is meaning it. I believe the way I just gave it to you is how John meant it. I'll give you the other options. You're more than welcome to pick and choose. The one you see is best. I mean, uh, when you get to this depth of interpreting of Scripture, you're, you're basically using a scalpel now, and it's very now much between your conscience, between you and the Lord. And anytime teachers try to act like uh, they have it all figured out, they're not being honest with you. I, as a Bible teacher, I understand things in a general sense, and I go down deep into the Scriptures. But then there's to a point where it's like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those jokes about a woman picking out paint, and it's like, which color of white do you like? And they're all like, you know, like four different whites but they almost all look the same to the natural eye person. It's kind of like one of those things. It's like there will be differences here. Trust me, I I will tell you what those are, and I don't know how much we'll get into it, but I'll tell you what they are. But they're not really as big as everybody makes them out to be. The, The good preachers, the good teachers, no matter how they fall on this issue, will all be teaching in general what I am teaching you right now, but they're going to use their own terminology. So can you please put up the slide with that sentence now, please? That what I mean by I am sinless, what that means is my standing before God is without sin. Okay, so do we have the slide ready? Thank you. So just go ahead and put that up there. And as they're putting up this slide, I don't know if we're having technical issues, put next to that 2 Corinthians 5.21, and then we'll read it. And if we don't get to that slide pretty quick, I'll just read the verse right there. Technical issues, should I I be patient today? Okay, let me read the verse first. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How much sin does Jesus have in him? None. How much sin did Jesus take upon him? All of it. Now, before Christ, how much sin did you have in you? A lot. Or you could say all of it. I mean, in one sense, we were all sinful. So the fullness of sin was in us, but you may not have acted out every sin. Does everybody get that? Because in the Bible, you are full of something. You are either full of God or full of the devil, which results in the life of the flesh. Full of righteousness and holiness or full of sin. Okay, so that's how the Bible looks at it. What we don't mean is that every sinner has sinned in every way. Everybody get that? Okay. So now Jesus takes on every sin and removes from us every sin and then gives us every form of righteousness. The highest level of righteousness. The greatest level. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, so now now get the first statement here. I am sinless. 
In what way, as a Christian in Christ, and let's be very specific there, in Christ I am sinless. That's where we have the triangle. Some people think we're involved in the Illuminati. We're not. Triangles belong to God, not to conspiracy theorists, okay? We get it first, not the all-seeing eye of the, uh, of the pyramid on the dollar bill. That belongs to Jesus. He owns triangles, circles, and a whole bunch of other shapes too, okay? He lets me borrow them. So the triangle says, in him, Father, Son, and Spirit. Because of Jesus, I am in the triune relationship with God. Through Jesus becoming humanity, I now get to participate in divinity. Anybody picking up some goodies right here? Okay. So now notice this. In Christ, because of Jesus, I now have righteousness and a righteous nature instead of a sinful nature. Now just scroll up to verse 17 of, of that same passage, and you'll see that most famous passage that we all know, that there Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ, the new creation has come. See, we're not waiting for the new creation. The new creation has come. So whatever we're talking about as new creation, it can't there be the resurrected body because we know we haven't been resurrected yet. The new creation must be the born-again spiritual man. Amen? See, you were born of flesh and you were born of spirit. And the soul is of the nature of the spirit. And so you have a physical, materialistic side, a corporal side, and then you have a, uh, you have a physical side, a corporal side, a materialistic side, and then you have a spirit, spiritual, non-corporeal, non-corporal side that, that your soul and your spirit resides in. Can I hear an amen to that? Because some people call that dualism. So the amens just help me keep on track here. So the Bible says, therefore, in Christ, in union with Christ, in relationship with with Christ, we have a new creation. We're waiting for the resurrection, so it must not be, be no, it must not be speaking about our physical body. It must be speaking about our inner life, like in John 3, to be born again, but not of flesh, but of spirit. That's what I believe Paul is referring to here. The old has gone. The new is where? Here. The new is here. So it's right here. And I know I'm not resurrected yet. How many know that? I still deal with acne as a 46-year-old adult. How is that even possible? I feel sorry for my kids, man. I had acne as a teenager. I had it as a young adult. And I'm thinking one day I'm going to grow out of it. I'm waiting now for the, I'm waiting for the trumpet to sound, and then finally I'll be free from acne. Now, acne may not be your thing, but how many are you are ready to get free from some things in your flesh? I mean, I know you're beautiful and cute, and you're awesome, and you're healthy, and you like the skin you're in, but I'm just saying, how many could just do with, with some stuff outside of that skin? I could get away from some of this. I don't want to get personal here, but there's just some things about my wife, about a certain time of the month, that I just can't wait for the resurrected flesh to come. Amen. Hallelujah. I know I'm in trouble now, so I'll just keep going. Uh, so... I know the resurrection flesh has not come yet. I know it hasn't come yet because we're all dealing with it. So what has come, the new that's here, has to be that spiritual life. Well, how do we know that? Because if you continue on through him talking about reconcili reconciliation with God and, and Paul being an ambassador, you get to that verse 21. That verse 21, if you could scroll down to it, please, now tells you what you're, what you're new in. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, do you get the in him there is related to Christ that we just spoke about might become the righteousness of God. So, so there it is. Now, would you, do we have it ready to put it up, the, the, the phrase? No, I'm asking you to write it on a slide. Yeah, I'm sorry if there was a miscommunication. I thought I had said write it on a slide. Anybody else hear me say that? Some people are amen. They're just being nice. I don't know. Did I really say I really feel like I did say it. So write this on a slide. I am sinless, but I am not sinless, but I sin less. Okay. The first part of that sinless is this nature. Now, in what way do I not bear the title of sinless? That would be in my behavior. 
So people would talk about this as your ontological nature being righteous, and then now your behavioral day-to-day nature being in a battle between righteousness and sin. So if you ask me today, am I sinless, I would say, what way do you mean, am I sinless? Well, I'm sinless in my nature because in the righteousness of God, is there any sin? Is there any sin in the righteousness of God? No, and what nature do I have, a sinful nature or a righteous nature? A righteous nature. That's the nature I have. So I don't have any sin in my spiritual nature, in that nature that was born again. In other words, if you believe in being born again, how were you born again? One theologian said it like this, we're righteous in our spirit, but then our soul is like dung. So it's like having dung covered with snow. And I don't believe that. I believe that you're actually covered in the righteousness in your soul through and through, not just superficially. So I believe your whole inner person is righteous. Can I hear an amen if you believe that? And I'll show that to you in just a minute in another book, but just track with me here. To say I am sinless and in the righteousness of God because of Christ Jesus is not unbiblical. That's exactly how you're supposed to believe about yourself. Here's other ways of saying it in the scripture that you might have heard it before. Be perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. Ever heard that? Well, what's imperfect about perfect? Nothing. Perfect is perfect, isn't it? Otherwise, it wouldn't be perfect. So are you perfect like your father or not perfect like your father? It seems like it's pretty important to Jesus you be perfect like your father. How how about this one? How many have ever heard this? Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Is there any sin in holiness, in the holiness of God's character? As I've always said before, he didn't say be ratchet. He said be righteous. Amen? You got to teach some rappers this. Some Christian rappers think you can be righteous and ratchet. I'm thankful for the other ones that are correcting them. D1's my dude, okay? L, I'll just say that, is taking an L. I'll just leave it at that. The rapper that starts with the name L is taking an L. D1 is one on this. He's got it. Okay, so here it is. In Christ, I am sinless in my nature. But that doesn't mean I'm sinless in the sense of that every day I cannot or do not sin. Now, this is where... Even some well-intending Christians get confused, and they'll say, well, if I sin, then that now makes me a sinner. And this is where you can see they don't understand the gospel. Because let me ask you this. What is the opposite of sin? Righteousness, good works, right? Does a sinner doing good works make them a saint? No. So why would a saint sinning make them a sinner? See, they don't get it, and that's why they say contradicting things, because the same theologian that said it's like we're, we're, we're a snow covered by dung or dung covered by snow, rather, he says the same thing. We're a sinner and a saint at the same time. No, you ain't that. I can tell you right now. You either a saint or you ain't. You're not a sinner and a saint. Amen? You can't be both at the same time because that, that's contradicting the, the plan of God. They're sinners and they're saints. There's not sinner saints. Does everybody get that? Okay, so th- this is leading us further down the road, but, but, but now get this. Can a saint sin and still remain a saint? Yes, because now you have to understand how the gospel works. You are not made a sinner or a saint by your behavior, but by your affiliation to nature. Everybody get this. Either you're in the first Adam affiliated to his sinful nature, or you are in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, affiliated to his righteous nature. Amen? And so right nature is not dependent upon behavior. A sinner identifying with the nature of Adam cannot do enough good works to transform their nature into a saint. 
just like a saint can't do enough bad works to become a sinner. Now, I believe that a saint can go to become a sinner and backslide, but it's not merely by their behavior. It is by their changing of affiliation from believing and identifying with Christ and his new nature to the identification of sin and Adam's old nature. Can I hear an amen to that? So it's not by behavior. So that's why when you talk to people who believe in once saved, always saved, they'll make good arguments. They'll say, well, how can what God makes alive die? Well, ask Adam and Eve. Didn't something die in them that day? See, they don't understand the scripture. But they'll try to say, well, now you're alive, you can't die. You have everlasting life. It's not temporary life. And what they're not understanding is, is that God's life in me, his Zoe, also named one of my children Zoe here, God's life, Zoe, never dies. But God's life is transferred and or removed based on our belief and affiliation with Christ. So, for, for example, how do I get everlasting life? I get it by coming into Christ. There is everlasting life. Can you put up our in him slide? I'm sure we have one of those there, brother, and I'm not asking you to make it, so we'll, we'll stay on the same page. So I think we have an in him slide up there so everybody can see, so I stop pointing to the, the ground over here. When I come into Christ, I come into everlasting life. If I come out of Christ, I come out of everlasting life. Does everybody understand that? The transformation of my nature is only in response to coming into him. So a sinner becoming a saint is changed only by coming into Christ. There is nothing in them intrinsically that changes the nature. So it's not like, listen, this is very important to understand because people sometimes think this is how we are similar to Hinduism. Hinduism teaches a change of nature, becoming more one with Brahma, more with the light and so forth. Even Buddhism has this. Buddhism is a cult of Hinduism, by the way. Hinduism was older. Buddha broke away and took some things and, and did all that he did without the statues, the idols and the priesthood, but much of the same ideas are similar in Buddhism and Hinduism, so you call that Eastern philosophy, Jainism as well, okay? Now notice this. What they say is that you're going from a glory to a glory to a glory until you're totally absorbed into the glory, into the light. That's not what we are saying. We are not saying our efforts are now bringing about this transformation. We're saying that we were transformed when we came into Christ. So it's Christ's power, Christ's glory that transforms us. And then the moving from one stage of glory to glory to glory is in Christ and his abilities. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ. Are you tracking with me? So it's always in him and through him and for him. Amen? In him through him and for him. So for them, it's almost like you're doing an effort, like it's your effort equals this. So it would be like human effort equals glorification. That's, that's a devil's lie. Human effort does not mean inner transformation. You can see outward transformation that way through the physical lifting of weights, you know, losing of weight. Uh, you can do things, breaking of habits, all of these things. And I'll be honest with you, because I've studied the New Age a lot, it is very tempting because so much of what they teach is rooted in the physical aspects of a healthy life. Uh, meditating more is good. I just don't do the crooked chicken. I do Psalm 1. Amen? <laughs> I, I just meditate on Psalm 1. I don't know how to do the crooked chicken. I think about logos. That's the logos of God in me and through me. Holy Ghost. You know, so that's, that's what I'm on, right? But, but yeah, meditate more. Uh, be kinder in life. All of those things. It's going to affect your physical body. So it's very tempting to our culture that wants the buffet religion and wants the benefits but not the cross, okay? They want the benefits but not the cross. And that's a problem, right? Like that's a problem. But it's tempting to people, okay? So in Christ comes the transformation. But like a Judas... 
or a Saul, or even the original ones, Adam and Eve, can you come out of Christ? Yes, and that's what makes you a sinner, coming out of Christ. So what happens, do we have the in him triangle? Okay, just maybe pull it off our book, and Nancy, can you go back there and help him, because I know on our, uh, our book page we'll have it there, just so they can have it. Thank you. Notice this, when we come in Christ, we're transformed. If we leave, we return to our Adamic nature. What does the Bible call this? The Bible calls this a dog returning to vomit. Has anybody ever heard that before? That's a backslider. But what about the Christian who just sins? Is that a dog returning to vomit? No, because as a Christian, one of the benefits that we have is grace and forgiveness. Grace and forgiveness is a benefit, thank you, my brother, of a Christian. So we ought not to be discouraged if we sin as a Christian because that, there is no condemnation for Christians. There is forgiveness, amen? And so does that now mean, thank you, Nancy, that we keep on sinning to just be forgiven? No, because that's showing that there's something wrong with our belief, our affiliation to Jesus. Those who are truly affiliated with Jesus will not want to stay in sin. Amen? So going back to that statement, let's look at it. If we just keep those two slides up and moving, I appreciate you guys being on the fly. I am sinless, that's in Christ, but that doesn't mean I'm sinless in my behavior, now you could put in quotations there, or brackets rather, in my behavior, but I do sin less. Now let's go to 1 John. How many are ready for that? Amen. Let's go to 1 John, and let's see if we see these concepts here. Go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So now does everybody see that you can't be a sinner and a saint? You can't be that. You're either in darkness or light. That's going to be now his way for this book, categorizing righteousness and wickedness. Good and evil. There it is. He's going to compare it to light and darkness. So if you say you have fellowship, and I'm so glad John, I mean, uh, Joby brought this up in our transition time, that koinonia, that if you say you are in closeness with him, then, and you walk in darkness, then you're lying. Something's not right. The one who claims Christ ought to live like Christ, okay? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And now watch this. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from how much sin? All sin. So I'm what? Sinless. But does that mean I never sin or I'm sinless in my behavior? No, it just means that what we would say our default is, is sinless. If someone could grab me a bottled water, please. I love using this as an illustration. Thank you, brothers or sister. The bottled water comes to us in its default position. Thank you. You can keep it shut. Thank you. We're going to consider this the way water was meant to be. We now have to purify it because we're messing it up. But how many know this is the way water was meant to be drinkable, right? You should be able to drink water wherever you want. So now we have to purify it. And I thank God for pure water. This is a blessing to our, our nation. Now notice this. This is the default. This is how, when I say, as a Christian, in Christ, I am sinless, this is what I mean. This is what I was meant for. This is me right now, today. Because all known sin in my life has been confessed. I am free from sin. I am not living with hidden sin. I don't believe hidden sin is something you do by accident. I believe that's on purpose, like how Adam and Eve hid from God. You know when you're doing something wrong in your conscience and you begin to hide it. Okay? But what should happen today if I was to sin? Let's say I was, you know, was going to open this up and I put something dirty in there. Now there is a abnormal quality about this water that's not natural to its default state. That is what sin is in a Christian's life. 
It's like a pebble in their shoe. It is something that doesn't belong, and it should convict them and them not be comfortable with it. How many believe the day after you got saved, sin no longer felt comfortable to you? Amen. Now, this is what I mean. I don't mean to put you down. But if you have never felt that conviction, then maybe you're not saved. And I think this is oftentimes why the debate of Christians having demons comes up is because they're talking to people who have professed Jesus and still have demons when they really haven't been made this as their default. So when we're talking about can a Christian have a demon, well, a so-called Christian can have a whole lot of things. But a true Christian cannot have a demon because by their default, they're righteous. This is what they are. Now, can demons uh, attack them and come against them like they did with Job? Yes, but if you notice, Job was never from the inside out demonized. He was just afflicted by the devil, you know, putting that on him. But he was never from the inside out demonized. And so this is what Jesus wants us all to be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. The condo is occupied by Jesus. He's not giving the devil a rental space in the basement. Amen. Or in the townhouse. Come on, somebody. Okay, so the Christian who sins ought to then take advantage of the purification process. So let's now say that dirty thing comes in this water and I got a water filter at home. What do I do? I pour this through the water filter and then now it comes right back to its default, right? That's the blessing of the Christian. The blessing of the Christian is to have the default restored. Remember, you've heard those Bible, uh, Bible words, renewed, hallelujah. What does renew mean except come back to new? Sometimes I talk to people, they say they're being renewed, 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 but they never reach new. You're not, you're, not a used junk, you're not a used pile of used goods over here. You're a new creature in Christ, and when you get renewed, you go back to brand new. Well, God's still working on me. What God is working on you? Because my God makes people brand new. It seems like you got the lowercase g God of this world working on you who blinds the minds of people. Because the God of heaven and earth, when he works on you, he makes you a masterpiece. Please put that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. When we look at what Christ does, he transforms natures, he transforms behaviors, and then he adds in there that cushion, that space for us to have grace. He already plans for us in the mistake to be restored. And so this is where you hear in the Bible, he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This doesn't mean that somehow he time traveled. It just means in the mind of God, before we made a mistake, he was already the solution. Before we had a problem, Jesus was the answer. For the, He was already the answer. Now, it doesn't mean God made it happen, but he had a plan for when it happened. What God did make happen, and let's be very honest with the sovereignty of God, is he allowed us choice that could bring some horrible consequences. So sometimes people say, I don't want to be in this anymore. I don't like that God gave me a choice of heaven and hell. Well, that choice has already been made for you. Sorry, there's nothing to do about that, so choose the right answer. You being now mad at God and him giving you a choice of free will, uh, ending your own life, hurting others, or just living as a sinner will not get you compassion and mercy on judgment day. You must humble yourself. And if you don't like the world that you're in, that's probably a reason to draw you to God because something on the inside of you is showing you it's not right. You don't feel right. So you maybe you see the evil of the world. You see the pain of the world and you feel like something's not right. Well, that's not time to shake your fist towards God. That's time to get on your hands and knees and say, Lord, forgive me and forgive my community and restore us and bring the kingdom of God to earth. Amen. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Come on. So people who are shaking their fist should really be bowing their knee. Because as we've said before, if there is no God, then your moral quandary or your troubles of morality don't matter anymore. And uh, I told you this before, and it's a bit disgusting, but it's true. Uh, lions eat their young. 
uh, animals attack each other, wipe out the herd. Rape happens every day. None of this bothers the animal kingdom because they don't have a God conscience. They don't have a mind that can understand the things of God. So those of us who see brutality, those of us who see injustice, those of us who see uh, uh, the harm of this world, children with cancer, so forth, and feel the prick of it, that's actually an evidence of God, not an evidence against God. So people who say, I see evil, and then now I can't see God, are actually not looking enough at the evil for what it is, because an evil is the darkness, the deviation from the light. If you're honest about your hatred of the darkness, you'll start to seek the light. See, those who say it merely as an argument haven't thought through it enough. Well, I don't like the God that you, uh, that you believe in because he allowed there a Hitler. If there isn't the God I believe in, what's wrong with Hitler? Does everybody get that? If we're just might equaling right, if we're just from the goo to the zoo to you, then what is morals? They don't exist. Don't even just take my word for it. Take all the main atheist word for it. Once you give up God, you've given up any purpose in morality. Okay? That's just not a Christian way of trying to get people back into it. No, it's actually saying this is what happens when you remove that guardrail and go off the, go off the edge. There's nothing left for you. But now notice the Christian and where most people live. Even most people have a belief in God. If they don't uh, find the Christian God, they'll find something to fill that hole and, and hopefully they'll come to the right God because heaven and hell is at stake and there's many false gods in the world. But, but here me. As a Christian, we do feel convicted over sin, and we do feel like we shouldn't live this way. Well, why is that? Because our nature has changed, sin has entered in, and we know we need to go back to the default. And then what happens if a Christian hides their sin, leaves their sin unconfessed, that sin then leads to them now no longer wanting to be the pure water anymore. What is backsliding? Saying, put me back into, into the sewer that you found me in. What does Judas do? See, Judas and Peter both deny Christ, but Judas says, leave me back over here. I want to be a dog back in my vomit. All Judas had to do was say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. That's all he had to do. Any sin can be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? Drawing us to Jesus. So if you're not going, growing closer to Jesus, the sin will deceive you. And yes, sin plays a part of it, but it will deceive you to stop believing in Jesus, to stop affiliating with Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Now notice this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So we heard about John saying a, lie, a light and darkness. Now Paul here is going to say alive and dead. So you can't be alive, dead, or live dead at the same time. It can't happen. So without Christ, you were dead in transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So notice it's their choice, even though they're in a nature that wasn't their choice. Like we didn't, we didn't determine whether it would be male or female, the generation we would be born into, or the the proclivities we would have to sin. That's why even though science has never proven the gay gene or something like that, or even the, um, the transgender uh, thing right now, it wouldn't matter to me if it did, because I know already I was born with propensities to other kinds of sins. As I said, I was born with anger issues. Anybody ever born with anger issues can relate? As I said before, when I was a young child, I punched a girl in the nose, gave her a bloody nose, and I hardly even remember. I don't even know what I punched her for. Well, can I now live out my truth as everybody else wants to? I get to go around punching girls in the face. I get to live out my truth? No, but they get to live out theirs. Why? Because society determines what sins are acceptable at the time. So don't be deceived by what society is saying. Because remember, Nazi Germany made everything legal that they were doing as well. So what we are saying as Christians is, is that when we are made alive, we are made alive to a new life. When we were dead, we were dead in a wicked way of living. 
You want to talk about, you know, anybody ever watch uh, The Walking Dead? Anybody ever see that? They're, they're really not dead dead. They're just kind of dead. You get my point there? Well, as sinners, when it says we were dead in transgressions, does that mean we were literally without a heartbeat? No, we weren't dead dead like that. We were dead in our morals and our way of living. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay, now notice this. All of us, verse 3, lived among them at one time. So all of us were sinners at once. Naughty by nature, but you need to be made righteous in nature. Gratifying the cravings of the flesh and and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of what? Of wrath. That's why sinners deserve it. It's not just because it's Adam's fault. They got a sinful nature. At some point, and I call this the age of consciousness, a child grows into an adolescent and starts making their choice. And then now they can be justly damned or justly saved. We don't need to baptize children. God's merciful to that time. He says the kingdom of God belongs to them by his grace. That's between him and them. But at a certain point, children become adolescent. Young adults, they're going to be held accountable for their behavior. They'll deserve it. Everybody say they'll deserve it. Amen. There will be no sinner going to hell that we'll feel sorry for. Whether that's sweet grandma, whether that's your wife, your husband, your child, anybody you see on judgment day that's getting wrath, you'll be like, oh, yeah, they deserve it. You won't just be like that towards Hitler. You'll be like that towards everybody. And as the Bible says, the tears will be wiped away and then the applause will come because we'll be happy that God's taken out the garbage, you know, because now it's time for sinners to be removed. Everybody always said we want evil to leave the earth, right? Didn't everybody always say they want evil to leave the earth? Starting with you, the sinner. Let's go. God's going to take you out with the garbage. And here's the thing. We've all been there. So we would have been, look at that, Gehenna, the place of fire of that time was a garbage pit that was always burning. And that's what Jesus would call hell. He would call it that place. And God doesn't want us there. He did not destine us for there. That was for the devil and his angels because of their punishment for what they knew and what they gave up. They don't get a second chance. But humanity gets a second chance. We better take it and be born again by God's grace. Amen. He loves us just the way we are, but too much to let us stay that way. So because of his great love for us, he's rich in mercy, makes us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in transgressions, by grace you have been saved. Now notice this. God raises us up with Christ, seats us with him in heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. And obviously that can't be physical because I'm still here. It's got to be my spiritual nature. So in my spiritual nature, I'm transdimensional. Anybody else in a different dimension right now? Come on. In my spirit, I'm in heavenly places while my body's right here. Because where God is is where I am, and where I am is where God is. There's a union between us because, remember, I'm in him. The Holy Ghost is my spaceship to heaven, and somehow I can be there and here at the same time. And then they say that's weird until they come up with another movie. I just saw one everywhere, nowhere, all at once. That was the one I just saw. And then, you know, you got the multiverses of Spider-Man. Everybody will believe that except this. This is where it all came from. Now they're just polluting it. Amen? Thor wants to be like Jesus, not the other way around. Okay? These are just cheap imitations. Watch them and get the, 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 the good and evil out the message, you know, to discern it. But understand that this is the real deal. So I'm seated right now in heavenly places while I'm seated on this bench. Hallelujah. And so are you, how many are in that heavenly place right now? How many every now and then can smell the aroma of it, can feel the presence of it? How many every now and then just sense, like, I'm not, I'm not where I think I am right now? And it will hit you in strange places, man. In the shower, I'll feel the glory of God. Sometimes driving my car, I was writing a song the other day. I was in front of my computer, and tears were streaming down my face. I had to grab as many of the tissues as I could because that realm just became more real to me than the realm that I was in. Now, notice this right here. 
Verse 8 reminds us of all of this. We'll just go to 7, keep it going. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So this is why we're here. Now verse 8 summarizes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So the idea of this, what we would call sanctification, being cleansed and continually being washed and, and made holy whenever we sin, is not of ourselves. And that's really the difference between Christianity and the self help religion. We come in by grace through faith. We're sanctified and remain by grace through faith. We do good, good works by grace through faith. We're resurrected by grace through faith. Now, there's still a cooperation of the will. It's not like we're just simply being drawn along uh, by God as if he has a hook in us and we can't resist. We are choosing him as he first chose us. Amen. But that us, that, that us response, that choosing of God in response doesn't equal, doesn't equal realms of glory, doesn't equal upgrades. And that's where you get the new age idea because it wants to put the focus back on you. As much as they'll talk about the light and the universe and all that, the focus is really on you upgrading. And the Christian is not looking at themselves. As one uh, precious sister said, when you look at yourself, you're depressed. When you look at the world, you're distressed. When you look at Jesus, Jesus, you're at rest. You see, if you put me on the karmic cycle, I'm always going to be restless. And I was reading up on some of this because I just don't want to, you know, talk about them when they're not here, even though I've spent, you know, many times, uh, many weeks in India, been there three times. I, I love them. I have their books. I study them. I don't just want to speak about them in a way that's unfair because lying is a sin. Can I hear meant to that? Even when preachers do it. Sometimes I write a preacher. I'm like, ah, oh, you're not really right on that, you know. Just because you feel the goosebumps doesn't mean you're right. So I, I'm, I'm just making sure you hear me on this. This is a part of that teaching. It's a part heart of Islam. These religions, if you get down to it, will actually mock you as a Christian. Even Judaism today will mock you as a Christian for thinking by putting so much trust in Jesus, you get all of this benefit. They think it's too good to be true. For me, it's like, it's so good, it has to be true. Who else could come up with something like this? The devil couldn't come up with a lie this good. Are you listening to me? This can't be a lie. This has to be the truth because our hearts are drawn to it. There's something about it, because when I was looking at the Hinduism understanding of karma, and it's not cute, and I've explained it before, but it's this idea that whatever you're going through now as suffering, it's because of what you've done in a past life or in this life. So I got this because I did something bad. You know, my dad got a little bit of skin cancer because he did something bad. My aunt, who died of a bone cancer, must have did a lot of bad things. People who are born already sick in a lower caste, they were really evil in the world before. I mean, that's how they believe. That is not a... That is not a caricature. That is the teaching of how karma rips you through the cycles of life. Well, understand this. What are you seeing in every one of those cycles? Your failures, your mistakes, and what you got to do to fix yourself. Well, that's like trying to give yourself a blood transfusion from your left arm to your right arm. What am I now going to learn in the next life through this, this soul that I have that I, that I haven't had the uh, potential to have already in this life? In other words, what new solical thing am I going to have in the next life that I didn't have in this life? What they're trying to say is somehow you'll change in some way. No, no, no. The only reason why we ever even see change in this world, the way that we're talking about on the outside, the external, is because God built it into us. God built your body to respond to, uh, to pressure and to exercise. God built your body that in meditation, it resets itself. Can I hear an amen to that? So you could go through a billion lives and be no better off. And then sometimes they say you go as a human back to a dog. How do I learn how to be a good human now being a dog? 
a dog has to be a dog to survive. It's a dog-eat-dog world. So if I'm going to be a good dog, i got to eat the thing that's, that's next to me. i got to have sex with the thing that's next to me if I want to keep being a good dog. Are you listening to me? It's not like you've ever seen a dog on its own go, no, I'm not going to eat that. Or a dog on its own, no, I won't have sex with that when they're in heat. There is no, there is, there is no uh, modification that happens there. So they're thinking they can modify themselves, but it's really a broken computer trying to fix itself. So when I come to the new age person and they say that they're doing all of these things, I say, how can a broken computer fix itself? How can you who is dirty with both hands of, of tar clean yourself? And then that's where they have to sound more like a Christian now. Oh, well, God is going to teach me things. God's going to teach me things. Well, what's the first thing he's going to teach you is that you can't change yourself. The, the real God of the universe is going to tell you this, what we just learned right here. If you're dead as a sinner, how can you give yourself mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and make yourself alive? You need someone else to make you alive. And then now you get to that, to that, what the Bible, Paul said it, and it's still today the biggest stumbling block. How do you get life when you're dead? By someone else taking your death to give you their life. Hello, Jesus. Hello, sacrifice. Hello, atonement, redemption, substitution. Amen. That's the only way you can get it is by somebody who has life. Well, does your guru have life? No, he's still dead in the grave. Did that guru have? No, that one didn't have. There's only one who walked this earth, prophesied his death, burial, and a resurrection, and then ascended to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ. Woo, come on. And so Jesus is inclusive to everybody as long as you accept the exclusive claim, he's the only one. He is inclusive to everybody can come. Everybody can come, but he is exclusive to the claim it has to be through me. It can't be through anybody else. And so when we look at our dear friends of these world religions, they're trying to understand what you have in front of you right now which is by grace through faith you receive the transformation. And then the salvation and transformation go on hand in hand for the rest of your life because verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do the good works. So how do I do the good works? By doing good works or by being made a good work? How do I do the good works? By doing good works or being made a good work? Which one comes first? Being made the good work. So get off that karma train, baby. You only got one life. You better give it to Jesus. And Jesus will create you to be his Lamborghini that can now do the work of going 200 miles an hour. No matter how much a Prius tries, it will never get to 200 miles an hour. Well, I'm going to get my Prius to go to 200 miles an hour by doing the good work of putting gas in it. Well, that good work of putting gas in the Prius, no offense to anybody who has one, will, will it make it go 200 miles an hour? No, no matter what kind of gas you, no matter how good it is. And by the way, the Bible says every time we do good works, it's like the tars on our hand. We're always standing it with our selfishness, our sin, and so forth. Even the Bible says as parents, when we love our children, oftentimes we do it through our selfishness, our frustration, even every act of charity. The Bible says it's like a, a menstrual rag. It's still stained, okay? And so we have to be honest with ourselves, even our good works are not all that and then some, okay? But notice this, no matter what good work you do for the Prius, put on new tires, that's a good work. Put on some windshield wipers, that's a good work. Change the interior, that's a good work. That Prius will never go 200 because it wasn't made to go 200. But a Lamborghini by nature will go 200 because it was made to do that. Now, which one are you, baby? Are you a Prius or a Lamborghini? Come on. Amen. 
you know, put whatever car you want in there. The Bentley, you know, all the a Bugatti, you know, which, what, which one are you? So this idea of, well, by good works, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and do, 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 do. At the end of the day, you're just going to have a bunch of do-do. Because doing the good works without first being made a good work is just living in the same rat race. It's just a dead man walking, doing the same dead things. But Christ, now notice the difference, makes the good work at the new creation. And now the good works, natural ability is to continue to do good works. It's a good work made to do good works. Amen. Prepared in advance to do. Now going back to 1 John, the one who says they know him but live in darkness don't really have the light. But those who have the light, verse 7, will walk with Jesus and as a privilege, hallelujah, the blood of Jesus, his son, will purify us from all sin. Now look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So do you see where we go back to that statement? I'm sinless, but that doesn't mean I never sin or I'm sinless. Do you get that? Because when I sin, I still show that I have the propensity to sin. But that doesn't mean that I'm no longer sinless in my nature. It just means in my behavior, I can still make a choice. Now, God in his graciousness gives us more grace in our sin than he did Adam and Eve. Because one sin separated them from him and took away that nature. They knew at that moment the glory, the light had turned off. They were naked. They didn't pay attention before because they were glowing probably like a light bulb. And then they realized that they were in sin. Well, when I sin, I don't lose the nature of God. I don't lose my relationship with God. God is there to draw me in. How many have felt in your time of sin, Jesus was there to draw you in? Amen. And so as a Christian, we are in a new covenant, a covenant that is so unique that the Bible says all the other participants and their walks with God wish that they were in. So Moses wishes that he was here. Adam wishes that he was here. And what is that? That's an internal transformation and a covenant with Jesus that's unbreakable between the bond that we have with him and faith. It's unbreakable. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The only thing that separates a person from the love of God is not external. It's their decision to leave. So in other words, heaven has a door that you can exit. It's not that Jesus is a divine kidnapper and says, hey, kids, you want some heaven? Come on over here and gets them into the van and then drives them away. No, heaven is a place where you come in freely and you can leave freely. But I believe this, that once we're there, we'll never leave. There won't be another fall, and we'll continue to choose Jesus for all of eternity. And the only reason that Satan doesn't get another choice is because he started there and walked away from it, so it's over. But the Bible is very clear that you still have your free will intact. And even if you and I make the wrong decisions, he's there to forgive us. Now let's keep going. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Now notice this, and purify us from how much righteousness? All unrighteousness. So that means anytime I sin and I ask for forgiveness, what do I go back to in my default? Righteous. How much? Completely. All the way. That's how you're supposed to be every single day. That's why I can say I am sinless. I am righteous. I am holy. It's not because in my behavior every day I've gone without sin. It's because Jesus Christ is always there to forgive me. 
But now we move to the last part, and we'll get there in just a second, but let's finish verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to, a lie, uh, to be a liar, and his word's not in us. And it covers the base there for people who think what they're doing is not a sin. And that's why when I talk to the LGBT community, it's not that I want them to think of their sin worse than mine in any way. I come there with humility. You were born such and such a way. Okay, I trust you. I'm not even going to argue with you. Maybe this was never a choice to you in that sense. It's like me having a temper or lusting. How many think lust is a choice in the sense of like what you desire? I don't think it comes natural for me to lust. It's a choice whether or not I give into it. How many believe that? I'm just going to be honest with you right now. I don't choose my temptations. <laughs> Let me just pause right here because some of you all need to hear this. If you think as a pastor I don't get tempted anymore, you have not walked in my shoes for a day. But do my temptations make me become their slave to sin now? So everybody understand this. I may not choose my temptations, but I choose what to do with my temptations. And what should be my prayer back to Jesus? That once I feel that temptation, whoo, lead me not into temptation. Hallelujah. But deliver me from what? Evil. Do you think he answers that prayer? He does every time, all the time. Amen. So when we're tempted, we shouldn't blame ourselves for the temptation no more than Jesus should blame himself for being hungry when the devil said, come and make the stones into, into, into bread. Jesus didn't get all inward and blame himself. And I feel like that's sometimes how the devil messes with us. See, you got tempted. That means you're still a sinner. No, it's not. It just means that as long as I'm in this physical body, the radio signal of the flesh still picks up devil FM. Does everybody get that? As long as I'm in this flesh, it's got a radio connection to the spirit of this world. That doesn't mean I'm possessed. That doesn't mean that, uh, uh, that I have to give into it. It just means the wants and desires of this flesh will continue to function as it was before I was born again. The one thing that's going to change that is the resurrection. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for this body to be put to death, turned to dust, and receive a body like Christ. Well, you'll no longer receive temptation from your flesh because it's glorified. Can I hear an amen? Let me just give you a few examples in this real quick because this is important about verse 10. I'm glad the Holy Ghost is getting us to stop here. If right now I put up the temperature, another 10 degrees, the people are going to start getting agitated. How many know that? That's your flesh. You, you may not even have a choice over that. You're just going to start to feel like, man, what's going on, right? I put it up another 20 degrees. How many know you're, you're ready to leave the building? How many know if I said you can't leave the building, I locked the door, how many know your flesh is going to have a reaction to that? You're going to find out whether or not you have holy anger or unholy anger, right? And then how many know I put it up another 30 degrees and I start letting danger come in here? You know, snakes and all kinds of wild animals. Your flesh is going to react. See, the world thought we can get spiritual by controlling that aspect of the flesh. And so they sent their Buddhist monks up to the top of mountains. And I've been to the monasteries. They're beautiful places. Remember we were there in Nepal and the monkeys were hanging out. I mean, it's beautiful. You love it. But it's also grieving when you see how that culture idolizes this and how empty it really is. But what they thought to themselves is, well, if I can starve myself, then I'm putting my, my flesh under subjection. If I can walk on rice paper and be gentle in my feet and all of that, then I'm, I'm, I'm crucifying the flesh. But how many know you do all that with the monk and a pretty girl walks by, that dude's body's still going to react. You, you, you think he's not going to react because of something he's disciplined himself to do, but the flesh temptation will still be there. How do I know that? Because when the Christians imitated the East and started doing the monasteries, they went through the same exact thing. 
Some of them got to the point where it says, you know, if you lose your uh, hand, uh, your sin causes you, if your hand causes you to sin, it's better to cut it off, as we were kind of talking before. Uh, so you see monks putting their hand over the fire every time they would deal with lust. And then you see pictures of them missing fingers and arms and all of that, you know. You could almost imagine, you know, you come and see Bob. Bob's missing his right arm now. You know what he's dealing with, you know. All right, Bob, I see what you're dealing <laughs> I know it takes a while. Let's keep it PG. Let's not let the kids know what we said there. But you get my point. You see Bob come now. He's missing his right arm. He's missing his right eye. And then he comes back. He's like this. Now he has no hands. We know what he's dealing with. And I can show you here right now. Don't do it because it's gross. They started castrating themselves as well. Castrating themselves. Just cutting it all off. Because it never went away. I don't care. I'm, I'm telling you, I've met Buddhist monks. I'm telling you, I know that they, man, they have way more discipline in, in, in many ways than I do. But what I'm trying to tell you is no matter how much they lowered the, uh, the pleasure of their flesh and no matter how much they disciplined their flesh, no matter how much they brought it down, they're still in the realm of the flesh. They're still in the realm of sin and temptation will still come in. Here's a perfect example of this. Going back to the Christian example, there was a nun that was being interviewed by a woman because they wanted to know what it was like uh, for a woman to say, I don't want none of that to a man and just going about living her life, okay? So this woman said, no, I don't want none of that. She's a nun. Now she's getting interviewed and they want to know what a nun's life was like. And they said, you must just be the most just patient person possible that you could ever be. And she said, no, it's exactly the, the opposite of that. Living with a bunch of women all the time, with a bunch of stuff that we got to do, gets on my nerves all the time. She's being honest. And she goes, you know what? Right now, as I'm talking to you, I can look right up there at that stained glass window and none so-and-so forgot to wash it. I'm so mad at her. That's all I'm thinking about right now. Seriously, if you look at the rules those nuns and those people have to uh, keep, it is like, don't do this or you're out of order. Don't do this or you're out of order. And, and they're getting so worked up out of it, thinking they're crucifying the flesh, but really they're feeding the flesh the whole time. The Buddhist monk thinks he's, you know, he's killing the flesh because he's only eaten vegetables uh, once a week for the last 20 years. And sometimes you'll see them do those things. One of them, the guy raised his hand. You can look it up. The, the, the Hindu monk who has kept his hands raised for 30 years, his whole hand is atrophied. He can't move it anymore. It's just stuck up. They're just going to put it up there. The man who won't, uh, the man's hand who won't come down, Hindu uh, priest. You'll see it. Okay, yeah, you did all of that. But your flesh is still that you're feeding another part of your flesh. So you didn't feed this part of your flesh that could scratch yourself and do whatever with that arm. Okay, that part you denied, but you fed the ego. You fed the lust. You, set, you, you, you fed the desire for power, for greed, to be known as the guy who never uh, puts down his hand. Are you all listening to me? How many know the flesh is still there? That's what I'm trying to say. Do you see the picture of them? Yeah, go and put that up. So notice this. If anybody says they're without sin, they're lying. Well, you know, because I've met the Buddhist monk. Oh, no, I'm without sin. No, you're not without sin, dude. Just because you've kept your arm up for 30 years, you still got sin. The first part is you're lying to me. How many have compassion when you see that? When I was just going to click on one, make it bigger here, please. Yeah, do the one in a year and 40 years. Yeah, go down just a little bit, please. You'll see that the yellow heading there, one year and 40 years. Thank you, 49 years. Yeah, make that bigger. See, look, look what that person has given up for his false god. And some of y'all can't get up on time on church for Sundays. Come on. You know I'm going to use it. I'm no, no condo bondo, though. You're forgiven. You have great. What about great, Pastor? We don't have to watch the video now. Is it a video? Just put it, put it on, then pause it, I guess. But brothers and sisters, his flesh is still there. His ego is still there. And he's thinking, as we're giving advertisement for skincare right here in church, Lord have mercy. Maybe, maybe take it off. Thank you, my brother, and just pause it when he comes back. 
He's thinking that he did something of benefit to his soul by doing that, but how many know you did, he didn't? How many know when I went from being almost 300 pounds to the weight I'm at now, how many know I didn't do anything for my soul? How many know when people are injecting themselves with all of those products, they're not doing anything for them soul, their soul? How many know when you make a lot of money, you're not doing anything for your soul? It's no different than just raising your hand for that long. Or, or you know, and let's just be honest, you know, a lot of, of us here came from Roman Catholic backgrounds, told if you li- light this candle, you go to this, you know, prayer vigil, you, you go to that water stain bridge, you know, downtown or wherever, you know, and give it, give it some gift because that's a stain of Mary there. Your life's going to change. How many were religious at one point and it never changed in here? Amen. And that's the truth. All right, let's, let's close this out by God's grace. Daryl, would you come to the keys? And uh, we'll see what the Lord says, man, because I'm still praying on where to go with this. But I just wanted everybody to get this statement today. And now I'll go to ch- chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 John. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. Because now what will people say if I just left it where I, where I said it? Okay, I'm sinless in one sense, but I'm not sinless in another sense. Okay, let's just move on. No, that, that last statement needs to be there. But every day I'm sinning less. Why is that? Because that is showing the good work of God in me to do good works. If I'm saying I believe in God and I have faith, but I'm no different than a demon that believes in God, then really what does my faith count me? Because how many know demons believe in God? And they shudder. And that's why I say oftentimes a demon is smarter than a sinner. There's a whole bunch of sinners right now juking on the devil and doing all types of pornography type things with the devil because that right now is being pushed in the media. How many have seen that? Satanic worship, witchcraft is being pushed in the media. It's not by accident. We even have Des here, one of our worship leaders that will tell you when she was being offered to to do music, that was around the time of Katy Perry. They wanted her to start doing lesbian stuff because they have agendas. They want to push it. That's why you see right now it all, it's starting to come out in the Disney movie. They're just taking their time, just a little bit of poison, a little bit of poison. Or as the old adage goes, turning up the water while the frog's in it, just so that the frog doesn't realize it's getting boiled. It's being done on purpose. But understand this. We're not to tolerate sin just because God made a plan for us to be forgiven when we sin. We're not supposed to tolerate it. This is what it says. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not what? That you will not sin. So what is the goal of every Christian? To be sinless and sinless. That is the goal. The goal is perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. The goal is holiness or hell. That's the goal. So let's not get it twisted. Just because I have a privilege as a Christian that when I sin, I can go back to the state of sinlessness. Let's not get it twisted to think that's how I'm supposed to live every day with that being acceptable. Every time we sin, we're supposed to take that serious. That's why when I I give you guys this example, I say, we're probably, you and I, tempted identical throughout our lives and throughout our days because I still have flesh, okay? But here may be the difference. Some of you live right at the line of your temptation to sin. So if that temptation goes wrong, you can be into sin in moments. Where a mature Christian is, is they put distance between them and the temptation. And now, though I'm tempted, I am further from the reality of that temptation turning into a sin. Now, sadly, you've heard of pastors messing up too, so I'm not saying a pastor can't boot, scoot, boogie himself right to there. They they can come right there too. I'm not saying that this is a pastor gift. I'm just saying it's a a gift of maturity, and some pastors aren't mature, amen? So that's why they tolerate sin in the church because they're tolerating it in their own life. Amen. There needs to be holiness in the church, starting with the pulpit to everyone in the pew. So it's not that I'm not tempted. 
It's just, I live further from my temptations. Now, if you want to take this as a, uh, um, a way to evaluate yourself, there's places that I'm closer to than, than I'm further away from. So, for example, losing my temper, <laughs> I might be right about here. So, how many know if I sin and I lose my temper, that's still a sin. So, I need to learn how to be more patient and to stay in the grace of God and to give God my problems. Amen? I said amen. Come on, I need to be patient with my six kids and my beautiful wife, even though right now I need all the help I can get. And sometimes I don't feel like I get enough, and I have to ring the bell too many times. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so I need to get patient. But like cheating on my wife, man, I feel like it's like 10 blocks down the road because I've understood the cost that that would, that, that would cost me to sin that way. I would lose my marriage. I would lose my ministry. I would lose my 30 years by God's grace of reputation. But in, but in my anger... There's, there's some type of a toleration that I'm closer. I want to be as far away from my anger sin as I am from my adultery sin. Are you listening? Don't treat all sin alike. Be honest with yourself. And where are you finding your weakness? If you were the devil, how would you tempt you? You got to be, the Bible says, not unaware of his schemes. The Bible says we are not unaware. So you have to learn. Where, where is he going to tempt you and come at you the hardest? Well, for me, where does he come at me? What's the temper? Because he knows I'm closest there. So I've been talking to my wife, and she's been honest, and you can, you can ask her. I said, what have you noticed in my temperament over the years? And she says, I see you being more patient. Amen? Come on, amen, if you see a testimony in me. Somebody should say amen. Even if you just met me, just say amen. I'm nicer, trust me. Even though some may not think I'm nicer, we still get into arguments. That's okay. Amen. Thank you, my brother. You know I'm patient, more patient. He's been around. And the idea that Paul or John is teaching us here is that the goal is not to sin. And sometimes we make pets out of our sin. But I want you to look at your sin as the stray dog, not as the puppy. Now, some of you want taking stray dogs, so let me make it a little bit more, a little bit more like something you don't want. How about a stray boa constrictor? How many are going to take a stray boa constrictor into their house today? Not many, right? So if you saw a big old snake outside your house, you're not going to be like, let me pick up that thing and bring it on over, right? You're not doing that. But a little puppy, you'll keep around. Little puppy, that's a nice little puppy. Sometimes people think about their sins like the little puppy. Even when I was just talking about my anger, I'll hear even preachers say, well, you know, that's just my issue. That's my thorn in the flesh. Just be patient with me. No, man, we're not treating that like a puppy. I don't care if you're a preacher or whatever. You should be free from that in Jesus' name. It's like a boa constrictor wrapped around you. You're not cool. It's not funny. And sometimes we think it's funny. Oh, I wish I could slap that person. And sometimes we're, we're confessing. We're being honest. Sometimes we want the spirit of slap instead of the fruit of the spirit. Can I hear an amen if you've ever been there? It's a real spirit. That spirit of slap will come quickly. But sometimes we can, we can, we can make it look too cute. Because that, that spirit of slap, that spirit of anger, is the same thing that caused Judas to commit suicide. They did a study on depressive people. Do you know that the number one thing that the most uh, that, that all the depressive people have in common is a deep inner anger and hatred? Do you know that anger and hatred is actually the root cause of most, most depression? That's not me. That's according to Dr. Meyer and the Meyer Institute. That unresolved anger turning into bitterness, that's a familiar one you've heard, turning into bitterness and resentment is actually the number one cause of depression. So let's, let's be honest. I've read some of those suicide notes. And they're angry at their wife. They're angry at the world. I read one suicide note where he was angry at his wife cooking the same slop every night. So instead of coming back away from that edge and going, you know what? I'm thankful to have a wife when people don't have a companion. 
I'm thankful that my wife cooks for me when there's people that nobody cooks for them. Come on. I'm thankful that I have food, and there's some places where they have no food. Instead of living so far from that in the, in the realm of gratefulness, he allowed that sin to bring him all the way to this inner anger and hatred that he believed he deserved better in life, and since he didn't get it, he's just going to turn off the game and quit now. That was a suicide letter that I wrote. I mean, I, mean, I didn't write. I, I read, rather. And so the Bible says this. I write this to you that you do not sin. But if anybody does sin, anybody that's righteous, anybody that's in Christ, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen? We got an advocate. We have a lawyer of defense. We have the righteous one who imparts to us his righteous nature to forgive us and not only to forgive us but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to restore unto us the joy of our salvation, to give us our first love back, to give us a new mind and a new heart to serve Jesus. Amen. Woo! And then here's the good news at the end for the world as well. He's not only the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. So we think about our neighbors, Muslim and Hindu, all in my community. Jesus already paid the price for them. They don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to become a dog in the next life to learn somehow to become a better human. They don't have to worry about that crazy world. They don't have to try to go to their religion to find an answer like my Roman Catholic friend where I'm going to go see this priest in that dark closet and confess all my things or somehow go to some retreat that now Christians always think is the answer. My pastor friend went to a Catholic retreat to get restored into ministry. If you remember, I told you about that. And I said, brother, you don't need a Catholic retreat. You need an altar filled with the Holy Ghost and get baptized again in the power of God because it's not a retreat on a mountain that gives you the power. It's the Holy Ghost and he'll come wherever you're at. He'll come to that secret place and give you power to come out that place shining as a bright light unto the world, a city on a hill. Amen. And so he's, he's our atoning sacrifice, and he's also theirs. And so when we're preaching the gospel, let's make sure, brothers and sisters, we're not preaching to them behavior modification. When we preach repentance, repentance isn't change, you filthy sinner, and be a better sinner. No, our message to them is sinners need the blood of Jesus. There's, there's nothing you can do to change yourself. But the one who wants to change you, the one who gave you the ability to become a new creation, is giving it to you as a gift by the grace of God. And so my prayer, saints, from this uh, message today that I hope that you got out of it is what we had there in that slide. If you could put it up, please, is that we're sinless in Christ. And that doesn't mean we're without sin or sinless in that way, but that every day we're sinning less, living like Christ. And then when the world sees that, they'll say, I want that. I want that confidence that you have to be able to go to God. I have to wait as a Muslim for this one time a year during Ramadan and fasting to get it. Or as a Hindu, I'm trying to get it through my crooked chicken meditation and all my veganism. You know, they, they see the peace in you. They see that you have a rest within your soul, that there's a joy down on the inside that transforms you, and that your attitude, hallelujah, isn't like theirs. It has an altitude with Christ in heavenly places 
that where you're seated is how you're acting. You're not acting like the chickens. You're soaring like an eagle. Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, somebody say thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.